the prices for these journals can at the moment based on the example of the University of Virginia with what they pay for elsewhere from 2016 to 2018 went up from 1.7 million to 1.8 million <laughs> so we see this that this is a bizarre really large amount of money that is being spent on these journals when it's utterly ridiculous so what can be addressed about this well there is a major event where quite recently that shows the movement behind this is that 27 and 500 scientists who work for the University of California college system generate 10% of all the academic research papers published in the United States and they made up and they decided to enter 11 million dollar annual subscription to Elsphere who is the world's largest publisher on academic journals and even though Elsphere owns about 3,000 academic journals and their articles account for about 18% of the world's research output they want to take a principled stand and they don't want a private industry to dominate science and that librarians, the people who do research, want to take that control. <laughs> so, there's these groups of, I guess you could say, rebels in the science world can be divided into three groups that are taking war on the scientific publishing industrial complex. Librarians and science funders are playing hardball to negotiate lower subscription fees to scientific journals. Scientists themselves are realizing they don't need paywalled academic journals to act as gatekeepers anymore. <laughs> because the thing I understand is that the, the go-to rationale from the publishers of these journals is that they need to put a high price on the on the articles that they that they publish in these journals to serve as gatekeepers to make sure that they are up to a high quality what scientists are doing instead is they're finding clever workarounds to make this services the journals provide free they are going to try to publish their research into open access journals instead and not those of journals that are, are locked behind paywalls that, that cannot be accessed for free and that they don't need these prestigious academic journals nor to act as gatekeepers to ensure that their work is up to snuff or that they meet high levels of standards because they because ultimately that rational does does not hold up does not hold water and the third group is can be described as open access crusaders which includes science pirates who themselves create alternatives to free up journal articles and pressure publishers to expand access the most probably prominent example of science pirates are the operators of the website sci-hub which includes millions of pirated papers that hello fellow science warriors for those of us who care about the integrity of the scientific process I want to join you on this epic crusade of Chemicross called the open access movement or as is described in the title of this superb Vox article I read lately the war to free science. That now that got my blood pumping because 
the free the word free science just take a sledgehammer and just slam paywall of it to bring out all the knowledge to be free to everyone to read like that that just that gets my blood pumping to folks and it inspires me you know it makes science protecting the integrity of it of understanding the little details of it seem exciting and inspiring it seems makes it something that isn't just a niche topic it seems like something that's exciting about and I want to discuss this today as to why it's something that you should be excited about when you actually dig into it and understand the layers behind it why it's worth caring about <clears throat> even if you're not a scientist even if you're not a researcher even if you're not really immersed in that community of academics it still matters for all of us and I want to get your attention to sh- so you can begin to understand just how much matters it's just to have this number in your head 140 billion dollars of taxpayer money your hard-earned taxpayer dollars as hard-working Americans goes into government grants to support scientific research and you know what a huge percentage of of that research you can't access for free it's behind a paywall it's you would have to pay a fee of maybe like $30 or $40 or however many depending on the quality of the journal just access one article to download or pay like hundreds of dollars to subscribe to a journal for a whole year that is that that should strike your curiosity make you wonder why is that why is it something that we pay for that taxpayer dollars go to is behind that is not free to access and that's where we get into today is worth a war that's going on within academia within university libraries as to how we can get research more free to access or open access as the formal term is like what is going on within these communities to push for that to push for that cause So, it's important to remember that the reason why that material is valuable to you, even if you're not a scientist, is that if you are someone who is affected by certain conditions, say you have a fatal illness and that hasn't found a cure yet, and you want to know if there's any treatments that are being studied, Maybe not finalized, maybe they won't be in a hospital for a few years, but that there's still hope for you, that maybe that there's certain treatments that there's some good results for, and that there's potential for that they might eventually help people in the long term. You would like to have access to that information, but you, but you may not because it's of the paywall, that's not open access. It's, and even though that resource produced by your tax for money, so that is so those reasons up front are why you should care about this and important to understand like where this comes from like how the system is designed how for academic for academic journals and why they're behind that paywall like what the financial business model is for these people for these groups so let's go back a few ways scientific journals early on in like several centuries in the past were usually just published by like small group of scientists like certain societies or clubs of prestigious researchers 
he would just print them to, as the printing industry was getting was rising up in the 17th century it's just to spread information to each other about scientific research and about scientific meetings it was mostly just a very niche topic and a very niche business and they were just distributed through mail naturally and they were sold through subscriptions but what happened over over time was that after World War II business changed dramatically and that journals were being fo- were started to focus on selling just those subscriptions internationally targeting American universities just during the bane of the Cold War where a lot of intensive research into all kinds of technological advancements and proposals were, were completely underway and the and there was an understanding by the, those selling the subscriptions that you could charge a university library or a research lab a lot more than you could charge for an individual person and as such a lot more journals came up and the publishing companies began grouping together and they would start to purchase journals and changing the business to where it's just a small number of them would have access to a vast amount of literature of scientific articles that even in fact by the early 1970s just five companies could pub- were publishing one-fifth of all natural and medical scientific articles and by 2013 their share rose over half to 53 percent As a major example of them is the largest scientific publisher in the world is Elsevier, who publishes nearly half a million articles in 3,000 journals. <laughs> and with the consolidation and lack of competition means that these publishers who, who have access into spreading these scientific journals to these universities and research labs, they can get away with charging very high prices. And you would think that once we had the internet with electronic PDFs, that we could sh- that it would be a lot easier to share and therefore a lot cheaper. <laughs> and for but according to the publishing companies, you'd be wrong because there's apparently a lot of money that has to be invested into setting up the digital infrastructure in order to have those electronic PDFs easy to access and e- and easily organized all together by subject groups <laughs> in these massive complex databases to them and so what started to happen in the late 1990s is that publishers pushed their sales of their subscriptions into these large bundled deals so the universities pay a hefty price to get a huge subset of publishers journals instead of publishing purchasing I mean just individual journals which a good analogy for is that of a purchasing a, a channel bundle from a cable company and now you, now you get a great pay a lot of money to ha- have access to like hundreds of channels even though it's kind of absurd because in the end you only use like just a small handful of them regularly to be honest and so that business model is has, has been very profitable for them even if it hasn't done much good for the universities themselves I mean, because by the same token with that analogy of you, know, you haven't 
came for a ton of channels that you don't use, a lot of journals don't actually end up being accessed by students or by anyone else in the universities simply because there's no tangible need for them. A good example of this was that at the University of Virginia, they actually released results of the usage of the data of their scientific journal databases and which ones were accessed were and were not accessed. It turns out, of the 4,000 journals they had access to, 1,400 were never once open, not once, by any student or faculty member. That is 35% of the journals that they paid for were never once read. So, that considering the amount of, that the taxpayer money that these universities are funded with them. They have to spend an immense amount on scientific journals that no one uses or reads. That is absurd. When, it can, when you and I both know, it could probably go far further into a plenty of other educational resources on campus or at a research lab into better investing the into the quality of their research or the quality of their educations that they provide. So this is naturally frustrating for us. And the point of Stan to have a more clear grasp as to the money that's being spent is that the spending on journals that it's actually from universities has on a yearly basis has widely outpaced inflation in that from 1986 to 2014 the amount of a spent on research journal, on supposed ongoing resource expenditures, which includes scientific journals, um, like recurring materi- materials for like that, not just scientific journals, but like online databases, for like videos and like archival materials that students use for research, and as well as as well as faculty members, went up by 521 percent, while the consumer price index, which is what is essentially used to measure inflation only went up by 118 percent so it went up by more than four times the that of inflation to show you the, um, the that there is a legitimate movement to help bring these papers or lifetime paywalls into the light so that they can be accessible to anyone that wants to read them so with that in mind that we can see that there is indeed a movement take back scientific research and put it in the way it belongs free to access for everyone it's, it's important to understand the factors that can hold that are holding that movement back even though they have made significant progress and you see a lot of examples in a lot of research institutions all over the world in the, in the United States, in Canada in the European continent everywhere, that are taking stances against paywalls it shows how they are pressuring the publishing industry to increase access and how these preprints are going up dramatically that pre- such as preprints that are hosted by open science framework went up from about 2500 in 2017 to over 25,000 in 2019 and it can be pretty convenient to find surprisingly you can find these preprints just by installing a, a browser extension in Google Chrome called Unpaywall, so any of us can find them. That this, there's already been that there are already apps in place to 
make this easier for the average person. It shows how far this movement has come and how flesh other ideas are. And the people who operate SciHub know that they don't want that it's not supposed to be a long-term solution. It shouldn't be needed. That once there are no paywalls, that SciHub isn't needed anymore, and that is the ultimate goal. To Ill- that illegally hosting papers is not a long-term solution because those hosting those papers should not be illegal in and of itself. So, going back to the, the culture of science that can kind of get in the way of this re- revolution, as exciting as it might be, is that the thing is that as much progress has been made in bringing open papers into open access journals, is that the average amount of papers has just been going up a lot on 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 their own, both in open access journals and closed access. And a large part of these, the business models of these large publishers like Elsevier, it's not just that they publish journal articles, but it's in the data mining of its enormous library. Meaning that it can use analytics to report on research trends, recommend articles scientists ought to be reading, suggest co-authors to collaborate with based on their shared interests, mention which papers are receiving the highest level of citations and help people figure out which specific topics are going to get them more citations and therefore more prestige and therefore most likely get them grants. It gives people a sense of direction as to how to be competitive in the academic world. That's the power of data mining in these large databases of journal articles. So even if the publishers lose grounds on selling subscriptions, they can still offer a profitable service based on control of the content. But still, there's still a lot of reason to be optimistic now. A lot more institutions of science are going to be developed the well power to ignore or circumvent the major publishers. So the growing popularity of preprints is giving them one avenue to escape. So it's not technology or innovation that's holding science back from a revolution. The creativity and the drive is there, as I've described in all these different ways. But in the end, the thing that drives researchers' careers, the grants they're given, the promotions they attain, rise or fall, based on the number of publications they have in high-profile or high-impact journals. As long as those incentives exist and can scientists continue to accept the status quo, open access journals won't be able to compete. And many academics still don't publish in open access journals because of those really stubborn concerns that they're less prestigious, lower quality, and that they push the publishing cost on the scientist. Because scientists, even if they decide to put their papers in open access journals, they may still still have to pay to have those papers submitted to them and for them to publish it, even if it's free for everyone else to look at them once they've been published. The thing that's getting in the way of this revolution is that prestige-obsessed scientists who continue to publish in closed access journals instead of pushing their work to be published in open access, jur- open access journals. And the reason they do it is because of these really stubborn perceptions that open access journals publish research that is not as high quality, that is not as innovative, that is not as prestigious. 
and doesn't have the same standards as closed access journals, and therefore are not quite as effective gatekeepers of making sure that only of reliable, robust science is actually is published, which is an absurd perception, and is done, and is primarily kept up by the culture of science of people. Of the sense of pride, scientists have in their work and wanting to be published in high and prestigious scientific journals because that's what allows them to get really, really high level grants and be promoted in their work. The incentive to be successful to rise up the ladder in academia that's what's keeping them stuck to this old to these old models. It's what's keeping them stuck to these old ways of thinking, even when they would probably agree that in principle, maximizing the amount of science in open access journals would be far, would be far, far better for science, for the trajectory of the scientific process. So that even if readers of these papers don't have to pay for it, them, money still myself be paid for the journals to be off, to be sustainable, and that money will just come at the front end from the, the scientists themselves. So those issues are still some things that need to be dealt with. And those issues within the academic culture are ones that are constantly being discussed among open access crusaders, among academics, among librarians, among people in, in, at universities who are in charge of those funding negotiations with the big publishers. So for now, the revolution is just beginning. But in the, but if you ask any scientist, the, and if they answer honestly, they will agree that the future of scientific research has to be open access. If scientists, if science is truly to progress the way it's supposed to, the way that so that people in in academia have access to each other's research, ease can easily, even if they're not a faculty member. Regardless of where they're at, of what position they hold, that it's free for the public to access, so that they can build on each other's work a lot more easily, and scientists can be a lot more robust, and ideas can be exchanged more readily and built on each other in a way that's far more dynamic and far more beneficial to the scientific process. And that change in culture can combat. The desire of these big publishers, the desire of big science, to retain control over what's accessible, to the, based on who's willing to pay for it, based on the hard on the hard work of these scientists, on the fruits of their labor that they make money off of, ends up to decide how much control will those people have that they're willing to hand over. It's a set in conclusion. It's a sad thing to think about that academic, academic publishing, obviously it's not going to be a hot bun political issue. It's not, it doesn't have an obvious emotional appeal. It's easy to throw it aside as a niche topic that only people in the ivory tower, people who are like PhD, like hyper-educated researchers are only care about. But honestly, it could be if we genuinely cared, if we paid attention to it, if we thought about it the right way, if we understood it in, common, in layman's terms, and understood how it affects all of us, and understand that we ought to have a right to access research that was paid for with our money, and push people in our governments 
to make it so that though that public funded research that's funded with government grants ought to be published in open access journals that could make a huge difference this is a movement and it deserves to be taken just as seriously as any other movement and I ask you to join me in being a part of it thank you and take care God bless with that said some additional examples of what's being done within the open access movement is to for scientists to create open access journals of their own to publish the work of other science researchers in to make them free for all to access instead of having them put up in closed access journals and to, for them to be put on webs for not the final drafts of these papers but the early but early rough drafts which can be called preprints put on open access depositories where they can be peer-reviewed by other scientists and there's an assurance that if you put in your pre your rough draft of your paper in there or your preprint that as long as the science and your methods are clear and, and real and scientifically robust and that you follow through on what you claim you're going to do within your mythology then it will be published in its final form and there by having it your rough draft and methods accessible for everyone to see As, and along with what I said earlier about the illegal website SciHub which has more than 500 visitors daily and hosts more than 50 million academic papers 